In chapters 34 and 35 of a short history of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. A short history of the United States by Edward Channing. Chapter 34. The Struggle for Kansas. 349. Pierce, elected president, 1852. It was now campaign time for a new election. The Whigs had been successful with two old soldiers, so they thought they would try again with another soldier and nominated General Winfield Scott, the conqueror of Mexico. The Democrats also nominated a soldier, Franklin Pierce of New Hampshire, who had been in northern Mexico with Taylor. The Democrats and Whigs both said they would stand by the Compromise of 1850, but many voters thought that there would be less danger of excitement with a Democrat in the White House and voted for Pierce for that reason. They soon found that they were terribly mistaken in their belief. 350. Douglas's Nebraska Bill President Pierce began his term of office quietly enough. But, in 1854, Senator Douglas of Illinois brought in a bill to organize the territory of Nebraska. It will be remembered that in 1820, Missouri had been admitted to the Union as a slave state. In 1848, Iowa had been admitted as a free state. North of Iowa was free territory of Minnesota. Westward from Missouri, Iowa, and Minnesota was an immense region without any government of any kind. It all lay north of the Compromise Line of 1820 and had been forever devoted to freedom by that compromise. But Douglas said that the Compromise of 1820 had been repealed by the Compromise of 1850, so he proposed that the settlers of Nebraska should say whether that territory should be free soil or slave soil, precisely as if the Compromise of 1820 had never been passed. Instantly, there was a tremendous uproar. 351. The Kansas-Nebraska Act, 1854. Douglas now changed his bill so as to provide for the formation of two territories. One of these he named Kansas. It had nearly the same boundaries as the present state of Kansas, except that it extended westward to the Rocky Mountains. The other territory was named Nebraska. It included all the land north of Kansas and between the Missouri River and the Rocky Mountains. The anti-slavery leaders in the north attacked the bill with great fury. Chase of Ohio said that it was a violation of faith. Sumner of Massachusetts rejoiced in the fight, for he said men must now take sides for freedom or for slavery. Some independent Democrats published an appeal. They asked their fellow citizens to take their maps and see what an immense region Douglas had proposed to open to slavery. They denied that the Missouri Compromise had been repealed. Nevertheless, the bill passed Congress and was signed by President Pierce. 352. Abraham Lincoln Born in Kentucky, Abraham Lincoln went with his parents to Indiana and then to Illinois. As a boy, he was very poor and had to work hard, but he lost no opportunity to read and study. At the plow or in the long evenings at home by the firelight, he was ever thinking and studying. Growing to manhood, he became a lawyer and served one term in Congress. The passage of the Kansas-Nebraska Act aroused his indignation as nothing had ever aroused it before. He denied that any man had the right to govern another man, be he white or be he black, without that man's consent. 
he thought that blood would surely be shed before the slavery question would be settled in kansas and the first shedding of blood would be the beginning of the end of the union 353 settlement of kansas in the debate on the kansas nebraska bill senator seward of new york said to the southerners come on then we will engage in competition for the soil of kansas and god give the victory to the side that is strong in numbers as it is in right seward spoke truly the victory came to those opposed to the extension of slavery but it was a long time in coming as soon as the act was passed the armed sons of the south crossed the frontier of missouri and founded the town of atchison then came large bands of armed settlers from the north and the east they founded the towns of lawrence and topeka an election was held hundreds of men poured over the boundary of missouri outvoted the free soil settlers in kansas and then went home the territorial legislature chosen in this way adopted the laws of missouri slave code and all as the laws of kansas it seemed as if kansas were lost to freedom 354 the topeka convention the free state voters now held a convention at topeka they drew up a constitution and applied to congress for admission to the union as a free state of kansas the free state men and the slave state men each elected a delegate to congress the house of representatives now took the matter up and appointed a committee of investigation the committee reported in favor of the free state men and the house voted to admit kansas as a free state but the senate would not consent to anything of the kind the contest in kansas went on and became more bitter every month 355 the republican party the most important result of the kansas-nebraska fight was the formation of the republican party it was made up of men from all the other parties who agreed in opposing douglas's kansas-nebraska policy slowly they began to think of themselves as a party and to adopt the name of the old party of jefferson madison and monroe republican 356 buchanan elected president 1856 the Whigs and the Know-Nothings nominated Millard Fillmore for president and said nothing about slavery. The Democrats nominated James Buchanan of Pennsylvania for president and John C. Breckinridge of Kentucky for vice president. They declared their approval of the Kansas-Nebraska Act and favored a strict construction of the Constitution. The Republicans nominated John C. Fremont. They protested against the extension of slavery and declared for a policy of internal improvements at the expense of the nation. The Democrats won, but the Republicans carried all the northern states, save four. 357. The Dred Scott Decision, 1857. The Supreme Court of the United States now gave a decision in the Dred Scott case that put an end to all hope of compromise on the slavery question. Dred Scott had been born a slave. The majority of the judges declared that a person once a slave could never become a citizen of the United States and bring suit in the United States courts. They also declared that the Missouri Compromise was unlawful. Slave owners had a clear right to carry their property, including slaves, into the territories, and Congress could not stop them. 358. The Lincoln and Douglas Debates, 1858. The question of the re-election of Douglas to the Senate now came before the people of Illinois. Abraham Lincoln stepped forward to contest the election with him. 
a house divided against itself cannot stand said lincoln this government cannot endure half slave and half free it will become all one thing or all the other he challenged douglas to debate the issues with him before the people and douglas accepted the challenge seven joint debates were held in the presence of immense crowds lincoln forced douglas to defend the doctrine of popular sovereignty this douglas did by declaring that the legislatures of the territories could make laws hostile to slavery this idea of course was opposed to the dred scott decision douglas won the election and was returned to the senate but lincoln had made a national reputation three fifty nine bleeding kansas meantime civil war had broken out in kansas slavery men attacked lawrence killed a few free state settlers and burned several buildings led by john brown an immigrant from new york free state men attacked a party of slave state men and killed five of them by eighteen fifty seven the free state voters had become so numerous that it was no longer possible to outvote them by bringing men from missouri and they chose a free state legislature but the fraudulent slave state legislature had already provided for holding a constitutional convention at lecompton this convention was controlled by the slave state men and adopted a constitution providing for slavery president buchanan sent this constitution to congress and asked to have kansas admitted as a slave state but douglas could not bear to see the wishes of the settlers of kansas outraged he opposed the proposition vigorously and it was defeated it was not until eighteen sixty one that kansas was admitted to the union as a free state three sixty john brown's raid eighteen fifty nine while in kansas john brown had conceived a bold plan it was to seize a strong place in the mountains of the south and there protect any slaves who should run away from their masters in this way he expected to break slavery in pieces within two years with only nineteen men he seized harper's ferry in virginia and secured the united states arsenal at that place but he and most of his men were immediately captured he was executed by the virginian authorities as a traitor and murderer the republican leaders denounced his act as the gravest of crimes but the southern leaders were convinced that now the time had come to succeed from the union and establish a southern confederacy end of chapter thirty four part twelve secession eighteen sixty to eighteen sixty one chapter thirty five the United States in 1860. 361. Growth of the country. The United States was now three times as large as it was at Jefferson's election. It contained over three million square miles of land. About one-third of this great area was settled. In the 60 years of the century, the population had increased even faster than the area had increased. In 1800, there were five and a half million people living in the United States. In 1860, there were over 31 million people within its borders. Of these, nearly 5 millions were white immigrants. More than half of these immigrants had come in the last 10 years, and they had practically all of them settled in the free states of the North. Of the whole population of 31 millions, only 12 millions lived in the slave states, and of these, more than 4 millions were Negro slaves. 362 change of political power 
The control of Congress had now passed into the hands of the free states of the North. The majority of the representatives had long been from the free states. Now more senators came from the North than from the South. This was due to the admission of new states. Texas, 1845, was the last slave state to be admitted to the Union. Two years later, the admission of Wisconsin gave the free states as many votes in the Senate as the slave states had. In 1850, the admission of California gave the free states a majority of two votes in the Senate. This majority was increased to four by the admission of Minnesota in 1858 and to six by the admission of Oregon in 1859. The control of Congress had slipped forever from the grasp of the slave states. 363. The Cities The tremendous increase in manufacturing, in farming, and in trading brought about a great increase in foreign commerce. This in turn led to the building up of great cities in the North and the West. These were New York and Chicago, and they grew rapidly because they formed the two ends of the line of communication between the East and the West by the Mohawk Valley. New York now contained over 800,000 inhabitants. It had more people within its limits than lived in the whole state of South Carolina. The most rapid growth was seen in the case of Chicago. In 1840, there were only 5,000 people in that city. It now contained 109,000 inhabitants. Cincinnati and St. Louis, each with 160,000, were still the largest cities of the West and St. Louis was the largest city in any slave state. New Orleans, with as many people as St. Louis, was the only large city in the South. 364. The States As it was with the cities, so it was with the states. The North had grown beyond the South. In 1790, Virginia had as many inhabitants as the states of New York and Pennsylvania put together. In 1860, Virginia had only about one quarter as many inhabitants as these two states. Indeed, in 1860, New York had nearly four million inhabitants, or nearly as many inhabitants as the whole United States in 1791. But the growth of the states of the Northwest had been even more remarkable. Ohio had a million more people than Virginia and stood third in population among the states of the Union. Illinois was the fourth state and Indiana the sixth. Even more interesting are the facts brought about by a study of the map showing the density of population or the number of people to the square mile in the several states. It appears that in 1860, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts each had over 45 inhabitants to the square mile, while not a single southern state had as many as 45 inhabitants to the square mile. This shows us at once that although the southern states were larger in extent than the northern states, they were much less powerful. 365 city life. In the old days, the large towns were just like the small towns, except that they were larger. Life in them was just about the same as in the smaller places. Now, however, there was a great difference. In the first place, the city could afford to have a great many things the smaller town could not pay for. In the second place, it must have certain things or its people would die of disease or be killed as they walked the streets. For these reasons, the streets of the northern cities were paved and lighted and were guarded by policemen. Then, too, great sewers carried away the refuse of the city, and enormous iron pipes brought fresh water to everyone within its limits. 
Horse cars and omnibuses carried its inhabitants from one part of the city to another, and the railroads brought them foods from the surrounding country. 366. Transportation. Between 1849 and 1858, 21,000 miles of railroad were built in the United States. In 1860, there were more than 30,000 miles of railroad in actual operation. In 1850, one could not go from New York to Albany without leaving the railroad and going on board a steamboat. In 1860, one continuous line of rails ran from New York City to the Mississippi River. Traveling was still uncomfortable according to our ideas. The cars were rudely made and jolted horribly. One train ran only a comparatively short distance. Then the traveler had to alight, get something to eat, and see his baggage placed on another train. Still, with all its discomforts, traveling in the worst of cars was better than traveling in the old stagecoaches. Many more steamboats were used, especially on the Great Lakes and the Western Rivers. 367. Education. The last 30 years had also been years of progress in learning. Many colleges were founded, especially in the Northwest. There was still no institution which deserved the name of university, but more attention was being paid to the sciences and to the education of men for the professions of law and medicine. The newspapers also took on their modern form. The New York Herald, founded in 1835, was the first real newspaper, but the New York Tribune, edited by Horace Greeley, had more influence than any other paper in the country. Greeley was odd in many ways, but he was one of the ablest men of the time. He called for a liberal policy in the distribution of the public lands and was forever saying, Go west, young man, go west. The magazines were now very much better than in former years, and America's foremost writers were doing some of their best work. 368. Progress of Invention The electric telegraph was now in common use and enabled the newspapers to tell the people what was going on as they had never done before. Perhaps the invention that did as much as any one thing to make life easier was the sewing machine. Elias Howe was the first man to make a really practicable sewing machine. Other inventors improved upon it and also made machines to sew other things than cloth, as leather. Agricultural machinery was now in common use. The horse reaper had been much improved, and countless machines had been invented to make agricultural labor more easy and economical. Hundreds of homely articles, as friction matches and rubber soles, came into use these years. In short, the thirty years from Jackson's inauguration to the secession of the southern states were years of great progress. But this progress was confined almost wholly to the north. In the South, living in 1860 was about the same as it had been in 1830, or even in 1800. As a Southern orator said of the South, the Russian whirl of modern civilization pass her by. End of chapter 35